0: You're listening to She Well Read.
1: Get ready to be part of a community that is dedicated to helping you become the most well-read version of yourself through reading.
0: On this show, we hope to bring people together through shared experiences and provide a platform that promotes reading as a source of self-care while increasing your knowledge on various topics.
1: Thanks for being here and let's get on to the show.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another special edition episode of She Wall Red. Today, we are continuing our Black 365 campaign with special guest, Dr. Anise Mabry. We met Dr. Mabry at She Podcast Live in 2021 and are so excited to have her on our show today. So, without further ado, welcome Dr. Mabry. Thanks for being on our show today. Oh my God.
2: I am so excited to be here. I love the opportunity, number one, to podcast because you know podcasting is my jam right and number two to be able to pour into and I get I finally get to say pour into youth because I'm almost 50 so excited
0: you are still you shout out to
2: being almost 50
0: yes but you are still you You don't look almost 50 at all anywhere honey I feel it
2: (laughs) I feel it every day I get up and my knees creak when I'm trying to get on that Peloton bike and I'm trying to like keep up with all those people on the leaderboards. And I'm like, what do y'all people do? Like y'all just be going like Energizer bunnies. I'm like, y'all need to slow down so the old folks can catch up.
1: I think it's no joke, okay? I give mad props to anyone who does that, especially regularly because- I, me and my mom went one time and this was like to the wreck. Like it wasn't even that intense, but we both had to walk out of the class because it was too much. We were just like, she looks at me like, are you ready to go? And I was like, yeah. And we left and we never came back. That's hilarious. The thing for me with cycling classes
0: is I have a big butt and those seats are not big butt friendly and they just hurt I because I like cycling I just can't do the seats it doesn't work for me
1: I was baby. Could- those seats
2: are not
0: <laughs> little butt friendly those seats aren't
2: no butt friendly <laughs> no nobody's butt, friendly. butt is built for those seats
1: I feel like big butt. everything's big butt friendly <laughs> <laughs> it's not I promise you
0: but we've come to the consensus is no butt friendly
1: yeah, no
2: bad <laughs> okay but i am excited to to be here with you guys tonight um especially because it's pride month happy
0: pride Woo! yes, yes pride. pride every day yes period yes. um but yes. Yeah, so okay so going into things can you tell because we've done our extensive research on you and our mad fans <laughs> but can you tell us about yourself tell us about what you do with your foundation and yeah, just jump right on in. All right. I'm the founder
2: of the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation and my foundation provides a high school diploma for homeless LGBTQ youth, sex trafficking survivors, and high school dropouts, as well as youth who've aged out of foster care and children who are medically fragile. So basically anybody who doesn't fit into the traditional public school system box, I bust them out of the box and help them get a high school diploma. Um, My foundation also is the home of the very first LGBTQ podcast network, which was Back to Us Radio, and we were one of the only African-American podcast networks back in 2013 to become syndicated, And we are still up and running today. Um, We're not as as, you know because issues changed a lot, so we don't have a lot of hosts on as we used to. But I have a feeling that I'm going to be getting a lot of my my hosts back and some new hosts um, because some of the issues that I thought that we had fought and won are popping back up again. I'm like this is like whack a mole. So in addition to all of those things that I do. Um, I'm also engaged and I have a 24 year old and an 18 year old so I'm an empty nester yay but it's kind of it's kind of sad sometimes because I I miss my children being at home with me but I'm kind of glad because my son is at home with me right now and you know sometimes I'm like man Bruh, I just need you to go find something to do with your life that is not right here with me.
0: So, yeah. No, that's awesome. And I'm sure many parents can relate to that one right there. <laughs> that is so funny because I can see my parents saying that, like, all right, it's time to go.
2: <laughs> Look,
0: like my daddy used to always tell me, you ain't got to go home, but you just got to
2: go from here. Yep,
1: yep. I just want to congratulate you on first of all being engaged. You and your partner are so cute. We love watching you on TikTok, and the romance just it it makes it brings a smile to my face always. Um, all romance, but seeing how like love is not something that only happens when you're, you know, young. The way we see it on television and the media like no one is aged out of finding their true love and so when i see love at different ages it's so beautiful to me and i think that as you evolve the type of partner you need evolves as well so how do you feel like what you needed from a partner has evolved throughout i guess your 20s to now
2: That is an amazing question. So, when I, so the first time I came out, because I had to come out twice just to make sure that I was doing it right. Um, The first time I came out was in 1992, and I was 18 years old. I was going to have a scholarship to Albany State University, full scholarship. And my sister's boyfriend at the time kicked me out of the house, which caused me to lose the scholarship because I didn't have anywhere to live for the summer months. And the only person that would allow me to come and stay with them since I had come out was my sister's ex-husband. So let that sink in for a moment. Um, So I stayed with my sister's ex-husband. For six months and then I ended up going to UGA where I met my very first girlfriend at and we were that typical toxic push-pull lesbian relationship and we pushed and pulled for about 15 years and we would break up and get back together and break up and get back together and in one of those breakup moments I decided that I was not going to be a lesbian anymore. I was going to be straight and that my life was going to be absolutely amazing because I didn't need her. So I got married and I married a man and that was probably the the most self-destructive part of my life. And what I did in that marriage was I didn't self-destruct. I probably imploded academically because That was why I went to get five master's degrees and two PhDs was because I just didn't want to be at home and I couldn't sit with all of what was going on, Um, you know, and so then I get divorced from him and before the ink is even dried on my divorce papers, I get married to someone that I had met online and, you know, she was not, she was older than me. She wasn't a bad person. We had a really good relationship, but when you go through a divorce and you enter a new relationship and you heal, you don't come out the same person. And she and I really didn't, you know, we didn't come out as the same person. And I just, I woke up one night and I went to the bathroom and I came back and I said, I don't want to be married anymore and she was absolutely devastated. And you know, and it was, we didn't have an ugly divorce. I mean, you know, I printed out the, the papers she signed, I signed, we went to the, the courthouse and um, it was during the pandemic, three judges that were trying to do our divorce actually ended up dying from COVID. So it took us a, a little over a year and a half to finally get divorced. And, you know, while we were in court, one of the judges that was actually presiding over our divorce case misgendered my my ex-wife and she kept calling her a him and I was like uh her pronouns are she her and hers and her name is and the lady the judge looked at me and she's like I am so sorry I did not mean to do that I was like okay thank you and I mean you could have heard a pin drop in the courtroom but I'm like y'all this is how you know, even if you're divorcing somebody, you don't have to hate them as long as you handle the divorce properly. Um, And, you know, she and I, we are, we're working through a lot of things. I don't, I don't know if, I know that there's a lot of hurt there. And, you know, so when I met, well, I didn't meet my fiance that I'm with now. We went to high school together. And in high school, we were so tumultuous to each other. Like, We were frenemies. Um, She was on the softball team. I was on the academic team. You know, she was the one that she made fun of people like me. And, you know, we just, we didn't get along because she always had to have the last word about everything. And I have to have the last word about everything. So fast forward to 2018, and I was trying to get my nonprofit program um, into a police department. And I was told to go to the Oglethorpe police department where I go and I run into her and I'm looking at her like, I know you. And she's like, I know you. And I was like, wait a minute. And it turned out she had gotten married, gotten divorced. So, you know, we're both standing there looking at each other and she, you know, she had been divorced for about 10 years and very, very single. And um, I was trying to decide what I was doing with my marriage to you know to my wife at the time and you know we just we became really fast friends again and we now we laugh about us in high school and how how toxic we were to each other and for each other but you know I think as you evolve you know in my 20s what I wanted was I wanted the the fairy tale. I wanted the person that was the person that everybody wanted, and you know, it, I wanted to be like, yeah, you you wanted her, and I got her. And what I learned about that is when you're with somebody that everybody wants, you never become a priority. You're always that you're always an option because they have other options. In my, my 30s, when I got when I went through my first divorce with my ex-husband, what I wish that someone would have said to me is, you can't change who you are just because you get frustrated about the relationships that you're having. And I think a lot of times, especially as women, you know, we will go from one extreme to the other because we don't want to sit with what made us uncomfortable in that relationship. And, you know, the common thread in my relationships of what made me uncomfortable was my inability to deal with myself. And, you know, now in my, my late 40s, um, you know, I have someone who, number one, knew me when I was 18 years old, you know, and she's gone through, you know, the, the divorce she's, and we're both in we were both in law enforcement. So we had that in common. Um, You know, we both enjoyed community policing and we, we just, we had a lot of career pathways and a lot of life experiences in common. And I think as you get older, you start searching for those commonalities. And, you know, one of the things that I told her, I was like, you know, I said, I know this is going to be your second marriage. This is my third. And I am, I said, I don't want to do this again. I said, you know, I'm almost 50. I am not trying to be looking for another relationship, you know, later on down the road, because that's not, that's not what, how I want to, how I want to go into my golden years, really. Um, And I think that that's something that as you get older, you start thinking about things like that. Like, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, early 40s you really don't think about who am I going to grow old with who's going to take care of me when I'm sick um you know what is this going to look like because you were just very much in the moment but you know when you start hitting 46 47 48 and you start getting you know you have to have cataract surgery and you got to have knee surgery and and all of those things, and you have to have someone to drive you to the surgery and take care of you afterwards, you really start to think about what is my life going to look like, you know, when I'm sick and who's going to be there for me on the good days and the, and the bad days and all the days in between. So I think from a relationship standpoint, I think that's what the difference for me in all of the, the, my ages were.
1: That's such a good, I mean, wow. Let me just, let's take a second because you've like, many gems right there.
0: I was like, there's so much to unpack here and I'm just like living for your words right now. But Samra, I'm gonna let you go ahead because I you were the one who asked the question. I'll go after you.
1: Okay. Uh, I mean, what is there even to say except, damn, that's inspiring as hell <laughs> because I just feel like, uh, first of all we live in the south me and lana and there's just just there's this christianity culture that i grew up around where it's like this is your life partner forever and ever amen and like you don't get divorced and i don't know so i've always i think that caused me at such a young age to think about like who it's just a lot of pressure first of all but then when you're yeah. saying like what you wanted in your 20s is a fairy tale, which is very true. Like you do want the perfect thing that you've been dreaming up since you were young. and I'm actually kind of starting to kind of get off that. like I I had my head in the sand for a while of like, no, it's all gonna fall into place and happen somehow. And now I'm kind of like reality setting in. and I'm like, okay, is a wedding worth it even like financially? like, if this is something that not everyone in my family agrees with, because, you know, I'm currently living with my partner and I've, a lot of people in my family don't even agree with that. Like before you're married, you're not supposed to live with someone, but I guess I'm just realizing, like, I'm trying to, I guess, compare what I know is true to what, like, I was indoctrinated with in a way. And so finding that balance, I feel like it's probably, it still happens even in your 30s and in your 40s. So to take the perspective of like, I can wake up, I can go to the bathroom and come back and end my marriage. Like, it's not that deep. (laughs) And I can find another, another person who will love the person that I am in this moment and not the person that... Loved the old me that I don't even connect with anymore. And for so many people to tell you that, like, the person that you fall in love with in your 20s, when you literally are just finding yourself as an adult, and that person's supposed to grow with you, like, in step, exactly. And, like, you know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing if it happens, but if it doesn't, it's just not something to beat yourself up about. And it's, Like, it can only get better if you're finding, like, the person for you. So that's just, it's so beautiful, honestly, (laughs) to hear this story from you.
2: Well, and I think the other thing is so many times, especially for us as women, we are afraid to make the hard choices that might hurt somebody else's feelings, that might make somebody else uncomfortable, and I will always, you know, what I've learned is if you make the hard choices, as soon as you feel them, then you don't end up doing irreparable damage to the friendship. Like the friendship can recover to a certain extent. Um, where I, I see my mistake in my first marriage was that everything, my, I have a friend named Sharon, and Sharon and I used to joke and say, everything has an expiration date. You know, you don't put milk in your refrigerator and expect it to stay there forever. It has an expiration date for a reason. And sometimes relationships have expiration dates. And the reason they become so volatile and so toxic is because we try to hold on to them well past that expiration date. So don't be afraid to look at the expiration date on your relationship and let it go.
0: No, you spoke a word right there because I feel like I, and like you said, more women do this often than not, but I was definitely that person who was like, oh, like there's a difference between seeing like the best in someone and being like, they can change, they can grow, da-da-da-da, then like being real and being like, no, this is a part of who they are. And until they can fix this, like, I can't be a part of this. So kind of that expiration date you were talking about. But I feel like that has a lot to do. And we talk about this on our show all the time, dating in today's generation, specifically me, because I'm currently, I'm not dating right now, but I'm in the dating world. And you go out and some people look for these things that really won't matter in the long run, but it's what matters to them right now. And I think we have to get out of that headspace of, okay, but like you said, like, is this person going to take care of me in the future? Can I co-parent with this person? Can we, you know, maybe we don't agree on everything, but we can get there and we can get to a common space and a common ground on things. So I feel like changing the mindset earlier, like you said, when you're dating and looking for a true partner is better late. It's better earlier than later. I'll say that. Wait, and you you know, one thing
2: that I always tell my children and I tell my students too, when you are in a relationship with somebody, you need to look at that person and ask yourself, can I live with this person the rest of my life if nothing about them changed? If they were exactly the way that they are right now, can I do this the rest of my life? And if your answer is no, then you know what you need to do. I love the realness. <laughs> because it's that simple (laughs) it really is that simple you know and y'all it took me almost 40 something years to realize it's really that simple you know I stayed in my first marriage 10 years too long but when it got to my second marriage I was like you know what Mm -mm. not doing this you
0: know literally go to the bathroom four o'clock in the morning and decide you don't want to be married anymore. No. And I love that perspective because when you said you came out twice, I was like, wait, what? But it makes a lot of sense. And that you, you know, you got out of your first marriage and then were with a woman, somebody that you did want to be with sexually. But then even then it wasn't just sexuality at that point, it was the person and y'all just weren't good for each other. So then you could take that step again. So I think seeing that path and that flow is something really important too, that we don't talk about enough, honestly.
2: No, we don't. I mean, because, you know, and people look at, uh, oh my gosh, you know, she's had three marriages. Something must be wrong with her. No, baby, nothing's wrong with her. She just figured it out. And she knows how to articulate what she needs while you sitting over there mad because you're not getting your needs met she knows how to get her needs met and leave
0: no and like, that's facts with the realness. news <laughs> <laughs> <In our throats. laughs> no but like that's the tough conversations we have to have that we don't and I feel like Sam and I were talking about this just 20 minutes ago, having that yes man friend or yes man person in your life does not do you any good either. Like people being in your corner, supporting these decisions that they're like, "Mm, that might not be the best thing ever. You know what I mean? Right. Right.
2: You know, and, and that was, that was something that I told Rachel, you know, when Rachel and I were, were friends and everything and Rachel was a straight woman. And that's what everybody's shocked about. They were like, no. I'm like, yeah, Rachel was very straight. Um, You know, one of the things that Rachel and I used to always fight about is Rachel was never the person to tell me yes. Everybody else in my life always told me yes, because they needed something from me. They either needed me to write a grant for them or to share my homework with them or to you know, because I was the higher wage earner to pay the bills in the house. So everybody said yes to me because of what they wanted from me. But nobody really cared about me. And, you know, Rachel said to me one time, she's like, look, I don't have to be your friend. I don't have to say yes to you. I don't need anything from you. I got a whole house on my own. You know, I was by myself for 10 years. I can make it without you. I don't need anything from you. And I was like, wow. You know, that's the type of people and the type of person that you need in your life. Somebody that needs absolutely nothing from you.
1: A 100% agree because... I don't know. Like Alana saying, we talk about the dating pool so much and we listen to dating podcasts and just relationship podcasts because it's complicated. Like two different human beings full of emotion interacting in a space together. Like it's, you know, things happen and, you know, words can be misconstrued or said in a way that is ultimately hurtful and I feel like I learned so much just from hearing how my partner interprets what I'm saying, because it's like, someone's checking you. Like someone cares that much to be like, Hey, why did you just say that? Like, is this something you need to take a look at in yourself? And it's like, Oh shit. Like I didn't realize it affected you, but that makes me that much more. um, I guess like a sense of urgency of like, okay, let me look at this because someone's holding me accountable in a way. And if I don't look at it, it's going to pop up again and again. And like, that only makes it worse. So I a hundred percent agree. But like, I guess where I was going with that is I think that we love to talk about, like women love to talk about what we want in a man and what a man needs to be paying for and what a man needs to show us. And men love to say, this is what we need women to do when we're dating them for them to be, you know, a good girlfriend or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like we have these standards, but like, are we staying with the person for these, like, ultimately it's a bunch of like fake stuff that is like, it's about the compatibility, personal, person to person, like, like you said, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going anywhere here, but I just that inspired me. <laughs> well, I think when you think about compatibility,
2: though, you also need to ask yourself, you know, am I bringing into this relationship what I'm asking the other person in the relationship to provide? Meaning, you know, if you want the other person, if you say, well, the person I'm with has to have a house, they've got to have this, they've got to have that. Okay, well, do you have a house? Do you have the the you know the the $60,000, $80,000 car, you know, don't
0: expect somebody else to have in a relationship what you don't have. No, that's absolutely true. Because I very much hearing you talk about Rachel, I'm like, I am Rachel. Like I've been single for not even going to say how long now, but I've been single for a long time. And during that time, like I've graduated college, I'm going, I'm getting my master's degree. I own my own home. I live alone. Like I can self-provide But when I'm looking for a partner, I'm, I'm not looking for those things. Like that's not a priority to me because I already have them. I know I can do it myself. I'm a very self-sufficient person. I'm looking for the one who I can share my space with. And I think that's like the real thing that a lot of people don't think about either is sharing your space with someone because I am someone who values my quiet time and being alone. So having someone where it's okay that we can be alone together, I think, something that you should think about too when you're dating as well
2: oh my god girl yes yes honey you have got to have somebody that is okay with giving you alone time and you know Rachel and I both grew up as only children and everybody else that I've ever dated they have always they've always had siblings that were in the house with them and it's very different being with someone who grew up with siblings in the house versus growing up in a house by yourself and you know like Rachel and I we can we can have a quiet house all day and be good and everybody else if the house was too quiet it was is everything wrong I know something's wrong and when you ask me is something wrong about the fifth or sixth time yeah something's gonna be wrong because you've gotten on my nerves
0: you have worked the snot out of my nerves at that point so yeah that I feel like that constant bombard it's like no I'm okay really really please stop asking me I've had that happen a few times where I'm like no I'm really fine but I also have I used to have this problem of like being quiet when I was mad because I was just like simmering on things that I didn't want to pop off so I think people were like okay is she really mad or is she really just like valuing her time but no I totally understand what you're saying and so many gems are being dropped right now um I want to transition a little bit into you know I know you talked about your foundation and what you all do but I want to talk about you know the work in the community that goes along with it I know you talked about grant writing and things like that and obviously any ways that us and our audience can help uplift that and kind of a two-part question what does it look like to you being a true advocate in the LGBTQ plus community, or what do you wish more advocates would do or what you wish you could have had when you were in your coming out journey? So let me start with the first part.
2: Um, the work of the foundation actually began because of my daughter. And some of you may know my story with my daughter, but she was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. And she was in and out of adolescent mental health care facilities um, for about a year and a half. She attempted suicide 13 times in 12 months. And what I didn't know at the time was when your child goes inpatient into adolescent mental health care, their academics, you know, their academic learning simply stops. And some adolescent facilities have their own school system. Some don't. But the pro- the common problem that parents are going to face when their child tries to transition back to public school is they're going to be learning gaps. So we were getting a lot of learning gaps and she was falling behind. And so I decided to, you know, I had no choice. It wasn't I decided to homeschool her. I was forced into homeschooling her. Um, I call it homeschool by force. But it was actually the best thing that ever happened because when I built a system to homeschool my daughter, I didn't realize that it was going to become a, a gateway to save so many other children, like my daughter, who didn't have a parent with the ability to stand up for them, to fight for them, to advocate for them, you know, to believe in them, to love them, to push them. And that's what I've done for 365 people without high school diplomas is i have been their advocate and you know the majority of my students are homeless lgbtq youth um sex trafficking survivors or youth that have aged out of foster care so you know they they come to me with their own i call it their own special level of trauma and i just love them through it you know so that's kind of the work that the foundation does um I've kinda gotten into doing grants and I'm actually a municipal grant writer and grant administrator. And I just recently wrote a $12.1 million grant for the city of Tennell so that they could have clean water because this was a city in Georgia in 2021 that was paying $20,000 a month to have water brought to their city because their drinking wells were polluted. They had five wells. All five wells were polluted. And, you know, no one was coming to help the city. It was a, it was a poor, predominantly African-American rural community. And when the mayor told me that she was paying $20,000 for water, I was like, well, you know, I don't really know about writing municipal grants, but honey, we're going to figure something out. Because I don't even have $5 on your $20,000 water bill. Let's figure something out. And thank goodness for the Build Back America infrastructure plan. Because I wrote that grant for them um, under that plan. Never written a, a water treatment grant before in my life. And we were the... There were only five grants awarded in the state of Georgia, and they received the $12.1 million. So it's going to be life-changing for that that entire community. And I'm just, I'm beyond excited. Um, And even for my nonprofit foundation, you know, nonprofits thrive a lot on grants, but even more so than grants, nonprofits thrive on individual donations. And a lot of times people think that you know, well, I can't, you know, I can't contribute $500. Y'all, you know, my biggest contributors are those people who are consistently giving me $5 a month or $10 a month, because you would be surprised at how much that helps and how much it truly adds up. Like when I have a, a student calling me and, you know, they're saying, Dr. Mabry, I'm not safe where I am. I just need to get If I can just get to my aunt's house or if I can just get to my cousin's house and I need to send an Uber to them, that $20 a month that, you know, that you're sending, that comes in real handy. Or that $5 a month comes in real handy when I need to send a student some cash app to be able to go to Burger King and get some food. And, you know, what most people don't realize about homeless LGBTQ youth is I have 48 hours to get that child resources before they turn to survival sex for either food or shelter. 48 hours is all I have. Some people say that it's 72, but it's really 48. Because, you know, at the, the first 24 hours, they they're in shock that they're, you know, that they're on the street. The next 24 hours, they are hitting survival mode. And if I can't reach them in that first 48, I've lost them. And what does allyship and what does being an advocate look like? You know, I have been marching in the streets since 1992. When I first started marching in Atlanta Pride, the police wouldn't even protect us. There were more protesters than there were marchers. And it was a Jewish congregation that the adult members of the Jewish congregation who were marching with us, and we were the gay Atlanta youth group. Um, And this Jewish congregation, they took their bodies because the protesters had started to throw things at us. And these adults took their bodies and they formed a human shield around us and marched us down the street. And, you know, I don't know if they were straight or gay, but that's what allyship and advocacy looks like. You know, it's if you see something, you stand up and you do something. And I think that, you know, uh, so many things that I marched for in the the 90s and the early, you know, the early 2000s, it's like, and even when we legalized same-sex marriage, I remember going, oh, thank goodness, you know, because I've been marching in these streets a long time. I'm tired, you know, and and I really thought that we had, we had, I guess, reached a, a mark or a milestone, but the reality was. We had a false sense of security. You know, our allies had a false sense of security. And, you know, now I'm watching all of these rights erode away and I'm watching, you know, trans youth be under attack. And I'm watching anti trans bill after anti trans bill after anti gay bill. And it's because we fell asleep, y'all. We fell asleep at the wheel and we put it on cruise control. So what does, it, what does advocacy now look like? Y'all, we got to wake up. It's not about, you know, who is it's in control in D.C. It's about the down ballots. Because the reason all of these, these little, you know, anti-bills and anti-laws were able to, to go so quickly is because we didn't pay attention to the people on the down ballot. We didn't pay attention to the governors and the county commissioners. And we, we were so focused on what was going on in D.C. Yes, what happens in D.C. affects us, but what happens on the down ballot can literally kill us. And that's what's happening to us right now, you know, as, as they've got this don't say gay and everything else, you know, we've got people losing jobs because they are gay. I mean, I, I just I thought that I had already fought that fight. So how do you be, how, how can you be a good ally? Number one, you can be a good ally by when you see something, say something, you know, if you're in a workplace and you're in, you know, that, that they don't have policies that protect sexual orientation or, or gender identity or gender expression, say something because, you know, just because it's not affecting you doesn't mean that it will never affect you. And, you know, the next thing is, if you go to a, if you go to a pride march or a protest with someone who's gay, we are going to be the first ones targeted by law enforcement. Stay with us. Don't leave us. You know, and and because we need somebody to be a witness to what's happening to us. Um, and the same thing with, with education, you know, if you are sitting in a classroom with another student and you know that this teacher is treating another student differently than how they're treating you, you, you're not gonna get anywhere confronting that teacher, but you will get somewhere if you can tell an adult. Um, and even in college, you know, I was the dean of graduate studies and you know, I would always tell my my graduate students, you know. And I would pull them to the side and say, "How is such and such a teacher with, you know, with, with these students in class?" And at first, the students didn't really want to tell me, but later they started saying, "Well, you know, um, I know that so-and-so had the right answer on this problem because we did our work together, and we had, you know, we all worked through the problem together. All of us had the same answer, but she got a different grade, or he got a different grade. So then what I would do as the dean is I would start pulling the grades. I would pull the grades out the grade book. I would ask the teacher, hey, show me samples of your work. But if nobody says anything to administrators, we don't have the ability to do that.
1: It's almost like calling your senators about bills and laws that you don't want passed because, you know, it seems like one voice can't be heard, but at least they will, like, that's evidence in the long run. If one person reaches out and then another person reaches out and then several people reach out, when there is, when something is done, there will be, you know, more names, more, I guess, proofs, because people, like, really will, I think, fight for the other side. And they will do everything in their power to say this isn't what the country wants. But we have to continue, like you said, not fall asleep at the wheel, actually become like more community-based and spread awareness because the government, like the federal, on a federal level, they send money to the states and the states get to do whatever they want with the money. So just because Joe Biden is You know, in office, like at the end of the day, Joe Biden can't tell K-I-V, like for us, that's Alabama, what to do with the money he sends. Like we tell K-I-V technically what to do. And if we're not showing out at the polls, if we're not making sure that our voice is heard again and again and again, nothing's going to change because the people at the top are going to be like, oh, they're fine with what's going on. Like, we're representing the community, but the community is not the same community. Well, it's interesting because we thought the community was strong on our side, on the PC side, on the loving your neighbor side, but I feel like the Trump presidency, like, a lot of people came out from under the radar. Like, I feel like they've, a lot of people feel more comfortable now saying things that they may not have felt comfortable saying back when obama was president i just feel like culturally so much has shifted and it's hard to keep up honestly but like like you said making sure that we're doing our due diligence each person individually and and telling you know the people in our in our circle about the importance of Of voting, of like doing the small things like signing a petition or, and like it also made me think about how during the, I guess that was the summer of like the beginning of the pandemic, watching white friends of mine protect me in situations where the police were, or hearing, even hearing about situations in different protests where white people are protecting people of color it just that makes me see like it gives me faith in humanity and so doing the same for our brothers and sisters who are walking in the pride festival and are openly trans or openly lesbian or Anything that would make somebody at the protest protesting or at the parade protesting, like target them or even in the grocery store, like at all times, like if there's enough of us who can be shields, human shields, I think that that inspires other people to do the same and gives people like the opportunity to step into their power next time. So first of all, thank you, and especially what you're doing in the for the lives of young people um, who are homeless or just in general need help getting their um, high school diploma. Like that can change your life, and um, the work that you're doing is just truly so inspiring. I also wanted to add
0: that. I love that you mentioned about the down ballots, about, you know, your local elections, because we just had a local election that a lot of people didn't know about and what was on the ballot. So it's just, you know, reemphasizing that, like you said, yeah, what happens in Washington is important, but it starts down here. And, you know, I hear a lot of people, especially because we live in Alabama and I'm sure you've heard it. You live in a blip state in Georgia where, oh, I live in a red state. So if I go vote Democratic, it doesn't matter. Well, how do you think a red state turns blue? Enough people have to go both to change that. It's like this simple idea that I think gets lost by the wayside because we make it seem so much bigger than what it actually is. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. And also it made me think about, um, I literally saw it today on Twitter because Twitter is one of my various news sources. There is a representative, I can't remember from what state, but they're in Texas. And they're trying to pass this bill to where children can't go to drag shows or something so stupid where I was like, yeah, you just had a mass shooting at an elementary school and you won't vote on gun reform. But this is the hill you want to die on. Those are the things that we need to start paying attention to and being like, where are they? Who lives in that area? Who votes for them? And like put this in front of their face. Like, is this someone you want representing you? And making these types of decisions when they're bigger, you know, things to worry about right now. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because that is something that I preach about a lot, where it's like, go to your local elections, no matter how small they are, they are all important. Right. And
2: show it because you know, Georgia purged almost a million people off the voter rolls because they had not shown up for local elections. And, you know, and so then they're showing up to vote in the presidential election and being told that they're ineligible you got to vote in every single election. I don't care if it's an election to decide if we are gonna paint the the sidewalk purple or if we're gonna leave it white. Show up and vote for purple or white. Just show up and vote.
0: Yeah, show up and vote and know your rights to vote because it's funny you say that. I was actually listed as an inactive voter in our last election and had no idea. But I looked it up what it meant to be an inactive voter and I could still vote and they had all the tools there that I needed to be able to vote. But I'm sure there are places where, you know, the polling people might not be as knowledgeable or they might not know. And you show up as an active and they're like, oh, well, you can't vote today. So also knowing your rights when you go to vote is something really important as well. How can we donate to
2: your foundation Great question. So you can donate. We are on, we have a, we're part of the PayPal Giving Foundation Fund. Um, If you go to PayPal and type in the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation, we will pop up there. I will also um, send a link over that will be in the show notes of this episode, and you'll be able to click the show link and donate there. We are on all types of social media as the Dr. Anise Mabry Foundation, and you can go to any of our social media and donate there. And also the other need that we have is we need graduation supporters. And when I say graduation supporters, here's what I'm really looking for. A lot of our kids coming into the program don't have any family to support them at graduation. And if you remember what it was like at your graduation, you got your cap, your gown, There was someone from your family there to celebrate that moment with you, to take pictures of you, to be like, oh my God, I'm so proud of you. And for so many of my youth, like this year, I had almost half of the graduating class that refused to participate in graduation because they felt that they didn't have anyone there to celebrate with them. So if you are in the Atlanta area or if you were in South Georgia, or if you're even willing to, you know, be a, an, an online support person because um, what we're going to do this year is we're going to pair our seniors with a mentor or a support person um, three months before they get ready to graduate so that they have someone saying, you know, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see you graduate. I can't wait to see you get your cap out. I can't, somebody is excited for them and can't wait to see this moment happen for them. Because I will never again, you know, try to persuade children to participate in a graduation ceremony and hear that level of heartbreak in their voice of, I'm not going to march because there's not going to be anybody in the audience for me anyway.
0: No, and I love that idea because it's one of those ways where people who can't financially support the organization and what you're doing, it's a way to physically support, like, just something small like that. Because when you were saying that, I was like, that is genius. And why haven't more people thought of like those simple things like that, that you just, you know, just ca- get caught in the cracks? So I really love that idea. And yes, we will absolutely have that in the show notes and that information will be available to you all. Uh, but with that, of course, you know, we are a book podcast. So is there anything that you're reading right now that you want to share with our audience or any types of books or resources that you would want to share? And we will also have that linked in the show notes.
2: Absolutely. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this time with you all. So I'm trying to decide on this book that I saw, I actually saw it on TikTok and it's, I think it's called 48, what is it? 48 rules or 48 games? but I think I really want to start reading that book next and the book that I just finished was a a Jerry Hill novel. Jerry Hill is like an amazing um, lesbian romance writer and I got hooked on Jerry Hill probably about 15 years ago and she releases a new book every summer and so that's like my guilty summer pleasure once I finish my graduation ceremonies. The I get my Jerry Hill book, I go and sit on my back porch and I have a six pack of Blue Moon beer. I have my oranges and I just read my Jerry Hill, drink Blue Moon and eat oranges. Um, But I mean, she's an incredible author because she just captures so much of what lesbian relationships have looked like and how they've evolved. I mean, I just love watching the evolution of the characters in her books.
0: Well, that is something I'm definitely going to have to check out because I love a good romance novel So, and I've never heard of her. So that's definitely going on my personal to-do list. Um, But thank you again so much for sharing all of your wisdom, all of your knowledge. We've had so much fun talking with you today and hope that we can have you on the show again to continue these conversations because something that we like to talk about is these conversations really are never ending, but they're just a continuation because they need to happen. So with that, we are going to sign off. Thank you again. You all can find all the information of this episode in the show notes, and we'll see y'all next time. Bye, y'all. Thank you.
1: Bye, Dr. Mabry. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Shiwa Red to stay in the loop. Also, be sure to send us listener letters, fan mail, or PR to our P.O. Box, 1725, Gardendale, Alabama, 35071.
0: And remember, if you have anything to add, comment, suggest, feedback, send it all to Shewellredqa@ at gmail.com or post about it in our Instagram group. And for any business inquiries or collabs, send us an email to shewellread at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe, download, and leave a five-star review for today's episode.